the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak, and joining me today, we've got uh, Alexander Smith, who's the managing partner of Project Scepter. Welcome, Alexander. How's it going, Richard? Really great. And, uh, Lots of amazing things happening. The most recent, uh, you know, it's going to be pertinent to our listeners and to this conversation is the uh, changes that happened in Arizona with the election. And that's a, you know, that's going to have a direct impact on you and your business. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about what you're up to, uh, what Project Scepter is, and then we'll get into uh, some of the questions about how Arizona is going to roll out going forward, because it's going to be a new template for a lot of jurisdictions that follow again. Yeah, it's, you know, the day is, uh, the day's finally here. It's, you know, the conservatives came out to back cannabis as much as, you know, everybody else did. It was a, a massive landslide for cannabis in Arizona. Um, we are currently in the process of building out a 55,000 square foot grow facility in Casa Grande uh, on a massive 10 acre plot of land. We've been working on this all throughout COVID. So it's, it's been a little bit of a, an interesting ride so far. Definitely not like any project I've been on in the past, but I, I'm kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now that that Prop 207 has passed and and things are looking up. Things are looking really up. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's huge for the the mark in Arizona, which you know people often forget until the uh, the election happened. Everybody was looking at the electoral college votes has been growing substantially over the years and. Uh, is really a, a force to be reckoned with within the country at this point. But, you know, when you talk about the the changes, um, you know, some, some states take steps just medical, some go whole hog and medical and recreational and open up everything else. Arizona's gone and uh, is going all the way at this point, which is great. Um, are there any restrictions you're worried about? You know, no, there's, there's really not. I mean, the thing that worries me and, and it worries a lot of the people in the industry right now is just the fact that there's not a lot of testing labs, third-party testing labs. Uh, it, it just so happened that the same year that we passed Prop 207, we also have enacted for the first time ever third-party state-mandated testing. So <laughs> we're going to hit a, a massive bottleneck here soon with a, a massive increase in supply of product and a even greater demand. I mean, the demand in Arizona is is going to outweigh supply for probably years to come, and the testing bottleneck is not going to make that easier. Right. And I mean, testing is critical. I know from you know having built a large scale facility um, and dealing with all the compliance issues, not just with uh, domestic use issues, but for international uh, trade perspectives. You know, testing couldn't be more critical as part of part of the uh, compliance path along with traceability and tracking and everything else. Um, what are you doing for building an internal lab as a first step of testing so that you're not sending everything out in case there's an issue you have can you can then test everything um, make sure that you're actually dealing with a product that if there's a problem you can cull it early in the cycle. So we use uh, you know third-party testing labs for multiple uh, pieces of the puzzle. We actually have our soil samples tested on a regular basis. 
We have our water levels tested on a regular basis. We have the bacteria and the fungal colonies in the room tested on a regular basis. We are actually working with a, a new lab that has yet to come up with a name, but they're actually already approved by Department of Health Services for testing other uh, products for doing other uh, lab tests. So they're actually going to enter into the testing market for cannabis, terpenoids, cannabinoids, pesticides, mold, things like that. So we're going to be working with them on a regular, you know, almost daily basis to make sure that our facility is a as clean as it can possibly be and, and as cutting edge as far as testing goes. That's fantastic. I know that's, you know, always been a concern in, uh, in markets as they're developing is having really good testing systems in place because it is patient's health and uh, it wasn't necessarily, you know, in the early days, the same testing standards weren't in place and weren't pushed, but that's a, a very meaningful uh, step for the industry as a whole and uh, for Arizona and uh, patients there and, you know, consumers to know the products safe and secure. Um, it's a, it's a huge differentiator between the legal market and the, you know, gray or black markets that are there. Um, and I'm glad that you're paying attention to that right up front. That's, that's critical to, uh, to growth. So 55,000 square feet isn't small. I mean, uh, in, you know, in relative terms, there's a lot of, uh, licensees who have been much smaller and been very successful. Um, you know, there's ones like mine, which are, you know, much larger, but it's not, it's a completely different market, but 55 is a, a really a good size. <clears throat> are you going to scale right into that, uh, because of demand or are you looking at stepping it up? No. So, you know, it, I've been in the Arizona, the Arizona game now for since 2011, 2012, right when it kicked off. Um, I've, I've built smaller grows. I've built bigger grows. I've been a part of dispensaries. I really wanted to take a strategic approach on this one. So we're actually only starting out with, you know, one fifth of the space roughly. And we're going to be building into that over time. You know, we, we really wanted to get the line of products that we're going to be putting out into the market right from day one. And not only that, but just, you know, I put a lot of uh, pressure on myself as being one of the guys who pushed over the years for third, like things like, you know, state mandated testing, um, you know, better product standards. I'm kind of putting a lot of pressure on myself in that I want to take all of the problems off the board before they even become problems. I want to know that products already sold. I want to know that we have testing labs lined up. I want to know that every single, you know, strain we're growing is, you know, conducive to the environment we're growing it in that we have, you know, actual experience with it. So I'm, I'm looking at cannabis almost as less of a business and more of building almost a pro sports team, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Knowing, you know, having uh, encountered a number of the uh, team members, I think you've built a, uh, you built a phenomenal team, which should do extremely well with a great knowledge base there. Um, you know, I think it's smart starting with uh, the 10,000 square feet and moving the product and then using the, the proceeds to finance building the rest out. And that also gives you the flexibility and protection that um, you're not oversized, but you're also have the, you're not going to be undersized as you go because there's not just demand, but there's also going to be the, uh, the shifting uh, the markets in terms of uh, pricing and availability so that, you know, if you're not too large, you're able and you were able to maintain a good 
balance of stock plants, you're able to shift your production, you know, not overnight because it always takes a few months for a plant to grow, but it uh, gives you much greater flexibility. So what do you see with the, you know, with the challenges, what's the first big challenge for an operator getting going in Arizona under the new framework? I mean, just, just getting started in Arizona, the, the biggest hurdle is monetary. It's all capital. If you're not capitalized, right, you're, you're unfortunately not going to get going in Arizona. It's, it's a closed system. So there's only roughly a hundred to 120 dispensaries. It's full vertical. So they own everything. There's no middleman. There's no dissected licensing. Like you have in other States, you can literally grow it yourself, transport it to your own dispensary, sell it yourself all in house. And so, you know, it, it, it's a very, I want to say corporate atmosphere in the sense that Arizona wanted dispensaries originally to be kind of this thing that were pushed under the rug that, you know, Main Street never really saw. They, they operated within their own structure fully. They made as much money as they could for tax purposes and they were to be left alone. Now that, you know, it's going wreck, it's going to be really, really interesting because that's one of the things that we're looking at doing and capitalizing on is that it's really difficult for somebody to get going in cannabis, as you know, if you yep. don't have a lot of money. Uh, that's kind of where we've said, hey, we're going to outlay certain capital expenditures for people. So if, if you're an extraction brand or if you're an edible brand, we're going to make it really cheap for you to come in and get into the, into the market that we're in as kind of a team member of ours, so to speak. Um, but that's, you know, a, a, as a grower, as an owner, as an operator, it, it, the hardest part is always the money and always the partnerships around the money. Absolutely. And, you know, it's uh, f- now starting up is a little bit, there's advantages having, you're not wave one with the uh, the rushes and the everything else and the capital is more restricted, but it also is uh, a lot of the gear and everything else has become more reasonable. People are understanding it. Um, we're going to have to take a break, but then we'll be back uh, again uh, with Alex Smith with um, Project Scepter. And we'll talk a bit about some of the verticalization opportunities and uh, where that's going to look to go over the next few years. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at s-h-o-o-g-i-e-s dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the green piece. So we're back with uh, Alex Smith with Project Scepter. And Alex, before the break, we're talking about one of the opportunities uh, with regards to Arizona. And that's the verticalized nature of the industry there. Of course, that has, you know, benefits in terms of making it a closed system and the licenses are that much more valuable um, because you need that, that pass to do everything. But it also is a, a risk because the day the legislation changes and opens up, 
and stops vertic uh, verticalized solutions but allows other participants also begins to cut in on on businesses as you plan for you know the future what do you look like what do you think it looks like in three years or five years and are you already identifying areas of your business where you would want to focus if verticalization ends and it becomes more open you know it's it's really interesting to see kind of the framework of not just the statewide but the region the nation international you know it, Arizona's kind of protected in that, uh, and most people don't know this, Arizona was actually, I believe, the first or second state to try and pass medical marijuana way, 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 you know, two plus decades ago, I believe. And we actually passed it here by a majority, but the legislature wouldn't sign it into law. And so because of that, you know, we got something called the Voter Protection Act, which basically, it, long story short, keeps regulations from being thrown onto operators or onto licensees in Arizona really, really cool law, protects any new law that's put into place. From an Arizona perspective, I don't think the landscape's going to change much other than the fact that, you know, there are going to be a few dispensary licensees uh, given new licenses every couple of years to maintain their ratio with pharmaceutical, uh, uh, with pharmacies, basically. So it, one of the things hidden in the laws is Arizona always has to maintain a specific ratio of dispensaries to pharmacies. So that'll always kind of increase slowly as, as Arizona gains more, more popularity. And as more people move here, you know, we've seen a massive influx from all over the place. Um, as far as, you know, national and international, uh, I like to think that there's going to be a massive boom to the mentorship side, the e-commerce side, the merchandise side, when it gets ready to go federal legalization, I, I want to be there on the doorstep with the ability to, you know, kind of become what founders did for alcohol, where you're, you have one, one location that you distribute to the entire country and you can maintain quality control through everything. That's, yep. that's the place I'd like to be, to be honest. Well, I think that would be, uh, that would be panacea for the industry as a whole, quite honestly. I mean, it'll be, that'd be challenging for some of the, you know, just like in, beer, there's craft brewers that operate, you know, very regionally and locally, but for mass distribution, that would be the ideal scenario because it also, you know, provides a much cleaner um, uh, supply chain for, at every step of the way. Um, you know, but as you, as you look at that, that also would offer you opportunities to focus into certain elements. And, and you know, there are so many opportunities within the cannabis space. But every company is going to be except that does well is going to be exceptional at something, and then the other steps are going to be have to do as opposed to where where they want to see the difference. And where do you see for Arizona, for companies in Arizona, companies such as yourselves, the really the the big opportunity, the upside, the area that you want to focus and differentiate from the others or from other you know from others, and where you think that companies entering the market today should be looking at being the long-term segment that uh, is going to make the difference. Is you it know, the brands? I, it's, you know, cultivation is there, but is it the brands? Is it actually in part of the supply chain management? Is it, it cause when you talk about a centralized distribution system, you get into supply chain management issues. Yeah. You know, I, I think it, for companies in Arizona or operating out of Arizona, I think the number one issue that, probably needs to be cleaned up and focused on is product quality, to be honest. Uh -huh. I think 
I think supply chain management, you know, Arizona got really good at really fast, you know, Department of Health Services out here put in specific regulations to, to make it very easy to operate all of these things in house. But it, it, like I said, it, it's kind of a corporate atmosphere. If, if you look at Arizona from an overview, the one thing they really need to buckle down on, though, is, is quality product. And they've never had to, to be fair, until this year because the state said, hey, you're not mandated to test anything. Um, right. And, and that's why, you know, it, there's a there was a huge story in Arizona where about three or four years ago, one of the dispensary owners had two whistleblowers come forward because they were selling moldy product, like in the tens and twenties and thirty thousands of CFU count for mold. That's terrible. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in a state of play here where everything has been done, right. Everything has been done in a favorable manner to (laughs) the operator, but the operator themselves did not do themselves the service of learning how to operate and of doing the growing side. All, all the licensees out here really care about is the dispensary side. That's why a lot of, you know, right. and, and listeners may not know this, but a lot of the offsite grow rights that are uh, given as part of the license are actually offloaded to the third party companies in Arizona, specifically mm-hmm. because the owners of the license don't know how to grow. Sure. Ab- absolutely. That'll happen. And uh, if the market isn't controlled, you know, properly and the proper uh, controls aren't in place because, you know, it goes back to, I think, you know, one of the challenges of being verticalized is you have to do everything and it's very hard for somebody to do every area of a business. It's just like, you know, Ford doesn't manufacture all the parts for their cars. You, it's, you have to specialize into the parts you can do the best areas and, and moving forward. Um, but with cannabis, it's a bit more delicate because it's a it's a consumable, and if you don't treat it right at every step and don't maintain those controls, you run into risks. And it's really great to hear your focus is on those risks and from a compliance perspective, you know. And that's something which I've spent a ton of time on um, with regards to certifications. You know, there are international standards which you know, are uh, the GMPs, EU GMPs, GACPs, Global Gaps, and the like, although Global Gap really doesn't, it's used a bit, uh, you know, in some markets, but most of the international markets are GACP. Um, in the US, you don't have those. You do have, you know, FDA certifications, but most of the industry hasn't been focused on GMP, EU GMP, or GACP. Um, how do you look at those and those international yeah. certifications? Or do you yeah. even worry about it? You know, right right now, I, I don't worry about it. Frankly, you know, my big worry and my big concern is grow the best product, period. Make sure it tests, you know, non-detectable for pesticides in every single way, shape, and form, which, you know, again, if we're getting into like the nuances, you know, if, if you're next to a farm and you're growing indoors, you're pulling air from outside, you may end up, you know, popping, you know, 1% over non-detectable for pesticides. So- yeah. The point is, is like there's there's so many nuances to it, and that is what we really want to buckle down on. That's why we've said, hey, we're not going to try and go full vertical right away. We're not going to try and do everything out, the, uh, you know, out the gate. Like uh, we see a lot of these large corporations that they do, they go expend tons of money to do the whole chain top to bottom, but they're not doing any part of it really well. They're just kind of doing it all mediocre or even subpar. So we're, we're, we're tunnel vision about the product. We want the best products. We want 
you know, to grow the best products in the best atmospheres with the best lights, you know, getting the best terpene content, you know, passing every test. And we want to do that every single month, month in, month out. Yeah. And that's, that's admiral. And that's where the focus needs to be. And you're right. A lot of companies didn't do that. I mean, companies did mad dashes and I know, you know, we've, my firm Plano was criticized at some point for going too slow on things, but it was to do the proper diligence where, you know, I saw, you know, I know one company that built their facility right beside a rice paddy. Well, find me somewhere with more heavy metals and pesticide contamination or, you know, one up here in Canada that, you know, took over greenhouses beside flower fields and fields where they have uh, aerial spraying going on. Oh. It doesn't work. No, right? it's bad. Exactly. And, you know, those are, those should be basic, but they're not always looked at immediately. We have to take another break. Let's come back in a minute with Alex Smith with Project Scepter. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. Alex, something you want me to ask you about in the last section? Say that again? Anything you want me to ask you about in the last section? Oh, man, free for all. Yeah, but this is your chance to have something that you specifically would love to have asked. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with Alex Smith from Project Scepter. And Alex, you know, we spent a fair bit of time talking about um, quality and certifications and different processes and, you know, the the value of really paying attention to the start of the core product. Um, now, you mentioned, I think earlier, there's about 110 licensees across Arizona. Um, very, you know, substantial population in the state at this point. That's not a lot of licensees for the total number of uh, the population. Are there uh, studies as to what the expected um, rate of adoption is in Arizona over the ne- this year, next year? How big is the market locally? So that's a good question. We've we've had you know surveys that show the market's going to increase sixfold. So right now, medical there's about two hundred and seventy five thousand patients, uh-huh. uh, and we're seeing surveys anywhere from six times that to fourteen times that. Right. We, you know, I'm somewhere on the higher end just because, you know, Arizona has a massive tourist industry. There's a lot of snowbirds that come here during the winter. The place Uh is packed right now. I expect during those months, the sales to be insane, you know, and, and and I'll back this up. I will say that there won't be enough. There will be a, a deficit in the market for product for at least two to three years. 
Yeah, I, w- I think, uh, you know, based on the number of licensees you've got there, even if the even if the numbers are lower than your low end, where you talk about six times, even if it's uh, a million uh, adult use or recreational users, you know, with uh, that would mean you've got about uh, 12,750 uh, people looking for product. And if you've got 110, uh, 110, that's divided by the 110 licensees. So each uh, outlet would have 12,750 patients or uh, customers to deal with. When you look at that as an opportunity, that's huge, right? That is a massive untapped market that's very restricted for supply and huge economic upside. That's a, that's a tremendous uh, market for any investor to get involved in. Um, Especially but, when you look at the size of Arizona and, and kind of the, the city-state jurisdictions. So... <laughs> Phoenix, Tucson, and Flagstaff are the three biggest markets. Phoenix is the biggest. They right now control 85% roughly of the cardholders in all of Arizona. So right. when you look at 85% of that untapped market is going to be all in Phoenix, Maricopa County area. Hmm. That would that would make sense. And uh, and logistically, you're also in the in the Phoenix area, I believe. So that's perfect just outside of it. And, and that's kind of, you know, that's why we looked at, at the space that we looked at was, was from the, the perspective of it's close enough to Phoenix. It also met, you know, certain zoning requirements that made my life very, very, very easy compared to, as you know, the misery that goes with zoning and, and licensing a facility before you can even actually start building. Mm-hmm. I know it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, people think it's easy. It's not. It's a incredibly difficult business to uh, to develop and and go through, and um, you know I've had I, I've had and I've heard so many different stories of struggles and challenges. Um, it's not like you know I've put up retail operations in the past, and those are fairly straightforward by comparison to what you have to deal with, and anybody has to deal with in the cannabis industry, especially where it's verticalized because you're dealing with you know production and retail all the way through, and it's. Uh, you know, it's a agricultural production to a pharmaceutical standard is the way I try and explain it to people with a retail component to it, which normally branding alone for a retail product is uh, is a big business. And in cannabis, we have to do everything. Oh, we, and not only that, but like, you know, it, it, I'll tell this to all the listeners. It, the, the biggest question I get asked is how long does it take you to go from, you know, the idea of the conception of starting a cannabis business to actually getting open. And I always tell people prepare for roughly a year and a half to two years, because if you're really trying to, you know, do it the right way and follow the rules and be completely legitimate and above board, chances are you're going to spend some serious time in the preparation, the strategy phase and in, dealing with jurisdictions themselves. Yeah. I mean, uh, getting to actual commercial production alone is a year, even if the facility is ready. And, and that's if that's if you don't get hit with a 16 or a 20-week zoning period. Exactly. It, it, which, as you know, like, that's the other needle in the haystack is no matter what state you go in, each jurisdiction, each city, each county is different than the last. Yep. So, you know, oh, yeah. you build a grow in Phoenix and be – be really good at it and have all the experience and know everybody. Suddenly you're out in Casa Grande and you don't know anybody and it's a new rule set. Oh, exactly. And that, that's kind of what I mean. If everything's ready in place 
and you could launch tomorrow, you're still a year from being able to deliver a product properly and at commercial scale. You might be able to deliver a few plants, but not commercial. Absolutely. You know, and getting getting to that starting starting block isn't just, uh, you know, go. It's actually a lot of effort and work. So I applaud you for that because it's been a lot of, I know you've been involved in uh, working with the government around the legislative process and building your team, but also building a team that's been heavily involved in the market there to, to avoid a lot of the pitfalls. And it's uh, with the uh, the election over and the, the vote and the adoption, you've you're you're about to hit those starting blocks, right? Yeah, you know, we I've been lucky that I've I've been in the industry long enough to meet a lot of people and and meet a lot of good and bad people, as you know. And and I decided this time around, you know, the timing was perfect, the opportunity was perfect. I wanted to put together kind of the round table, so to speak, of people that can take a cannabis operation that is owned and operated by people that are cannabis centric and mm-hmm. kind of break that glass ceiling that I hear mentioned in the dark corners of, you know, smoke shops and grow rooms of when is, when are cannabis operators actually going to run the business that they should be? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're out of time for today, but I'd like to thank you for joining us and uh, to all of our listeners for listening to uh, The Green Peak with uh, Alex Smith and I'm Richard Zwicky signing off and thanks again. Look forward to chatting with you again next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.